You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Prison Poems, Citizens of Joy in Circumstance of Suffering. In this series from Paul's letter to the Philippians, we learn how to press into the source of true joy, citizenship in heaven through our union with Christ. Now hear the word of the Lord. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name... Thanks, guys. My name is Jonah, and I'm thankful you've spent some time, given us some time um, to turn our hearts and minds to the Lord this morning. Uh, We're we're beginning a new series this morning in the book of Philippians called Prison Poems, Citizens of Joy in Circumstances of Suffering. And, And that title is based on a poem that Paul writes in the middle of Philippians. He wrote this long, beautiful poem about Jesus in prison. And we're going to spend a few months looking at uh, what kind of man writes poetry in prison and how can we become people like that. And I I want to begin this morning um, by speaking to our Sojourn family for a moment. We recognize there's lots of people who have been watching these services that may not call Sojourn home. And so I just, I want to take a moment and talk to my brothers and sisters here at this local church for a moment. And I want to preface um, by letting you all know I'm, I'm tired. Um, I wouldn't say I'm sleepy tired. Um, I'm more so worn out tired. Uh, I think it's the cumulative effect of anger and confusion and sadness, uh, uncertainty. And uh, I guess by the grace of God, I am what I am. I don't know how to be this morning other than how I am. And so here I am, uh, tired and angry and sad and confused. Um, who, who of us will ever be able to forget what the first half of 2020 has been like? Uh, a pandemic is upon us, a pandemic. 
um, and all of the unspeakable losses that we've endured, both here locally and around the world. The death toll in our country is over 100,000 people. Here in our church, we've experienced death. We've experienced job loss. We've experienced feelings of isolation and loneliness. Uh, The fog of worry and pressure hangs heavy over many of us. Now in recent weeks, we've been confronted again by images of police brutality against our black brothers and sisters, leading to more death. The sounds of weeping mothers and fathers has given way to shouts of protest, uh, even in the streets of our neighbors in Jeffersonville and in Louisville. Over the past few days, as I'm sure most of you are aware, the sounds of protest have given way to the sounds of tear gas and broken glass and gunshots. Protests have turned to riots and riots have turned to looting. On the one hand, we're getting prayer requests for racial reconciliation and the safety of children, while we're also getting prayer requests for the safety of our firefighters and our police officers. And all of it is just so horrific. I did not sleep well last night. There are a few things that I pride myself in in this life, and one is that I sleep like a Calvinist most of the time. I sleep well, and I did not sleep well last night. Some of that was yesterday. I had to explain to two of my children what some new words mean. And I suppose in some ways that that didn't happen until they were five or six is a privilege. Got to explain to them what racism means, what protest means, what riot means, what looting means. And now my five and six-year-old know what those words mean. My daughter asked me last night if someone was going to set our house on fire. And I said, I hope not. And then my son asked me if I knew anyone who had ever had something racist done to them. And through tears, I said to my six-year-old son, yes, everyone I know who does not look like us has. Everyone I know So that was yesterday at our house. There are two things that I want to say to us as God's people. And I think, I hope it makes sense with what we're going to say about Philippians. And again, I say this as someone who's tired, who's angry, who's heartbroken and worn out. I'm trying to appeal to you as one of your brothers. To those of us who are more upset by the looting than the murders, I plead with you to repent. 
if you are more outraged by protest than the loss of life, I plead with you to repent. If your response to our black and brown families' cries for help and justice is followed by, but what about? I plead with you to repent and stop minimizing their pain. The scriptures tell us to weep with those who are weeping. Not to point out other horrific realities or compare their pain to something else. I plead with you to not be a miserable comforter. Mourn with those who are mourning. I plead with you to be curious about why we struggle so deeply in this nation to do this on issues related to race. You would never say to a grieving mother at the funeral of her son, what about all the children who died of malaria in the Congo this year? We do not do this anywhere else. We do not respond to grief and mourning in any other issues except for race in the United States. I plead with you to hear the voices of millions of people weeping in the streets and learn to weep with them. If you find yourself filled with but what about in these conversations, I beg you to be silent. Move towards your brothers and sisters with empathy and curiosity. Seek to learn. To those of us who are compelled towards acts of violence and destruction in light of these events, I plead with you to repent. The scriptures remind us that peacemakers are the most alive, blessed, fully human are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. While we weep with our oppressed brothers and sisters, we must not allow one sin to give birth to another. As a people, we must condemn in the strongest words and ways possible that racism, that white supremacy is an abomination before the Lord. And we must condemn violence even when it is a response to the horrors of racism. And so maybe, like me, you find yourself caught in difficult positions and in hard conversations. All of what I've said is easier said than done. And this is where I think Philippians may have some lessons for us. If you're familiar with the writings of Paul, or if you want to become familiar with the writings of Paul, they're all in your Bible, um, you may notice that the first few verses of Philippians in particular are very, they're very, very strange compared to how he writes to other people. And the strangeness of it clues us into a core theme of the book of Philippians which is that the transforming joy of Jesus is available in any circumstance, even circumstances such as ours, circumstances of pandemic, of uncertainty, of oppression. The strangeness is it's right out front in verse 1. Paul begins, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. 
So I've been working at a church for the last 15 years of my life. And in that time, broadly speaking, I've seen two things that lead people to change. How do we overcome those stubborn sins or those ways of being? Besetting sins as they've been known throughout church history. Two things that lead people to change. One is divine imagination and the other is profound pain. In our circumstances, even here in Louisville, we're seeing the lack of one in the presence of the other right now. Across our country, we're seeing the lack of one in the presence of the other. Divine imagination is the ability to see what could be in the kingdom of God, who we could be as a people, who I could be as a man, who you could be as a woman. Humans are driven by desire and love and affection. Divine imagination is the spirit of God speaking to us and helping us see what could be, who we could be, and we are drawn to it. Divine imagination fills us with desire for something good, true, and beautiful, and we run after it. Profound pain is that kind of pain that leaves you feeling utterly stuck with no way out, and so you do something that maybe you normally wouldn't do to try to find a way out. Whether through spiritual chains or physical chains, humans were not made for slavery, and we will find a way out. And so Paul, unjustly imprisoned, writing this as he's waiting on word of his execution, writes an intro like this. And maybe it sounds very normal to you. Why would I say this is so strange? Well, did you notice that Paul shares the credit for this letter with his dear friend Timothy? He says, this letter is from Paul and Timothy. We can talk a lot more about this if you'd like, but Timothy did not write this. As soon as in verse three, you see that it switches to first person singular. So Paul is saying, I. So what's going on here? Did we finally destroy the Bible? No, Timothy is a younger man that Paul believes in who was Paul's secretary. So here's what's going on. In his imprisonment, and we'll talk more about this, Paul is literally chained to a guard the entire time. And so Paul is speaking from inside his cell and Timothy is writing it down. Paul is dictating, Timothy is writing. So Paul is the author and Timothy is the secretary. But Paul gives Timothy equal credit. You see that? He doesn't create any kind of hierarchy or levels between who gets the credit for this or doesn't. He reaches down to someone lower than him and lifts him up when he doesn't have to. He shares equal credit with Timothy. Second, Paul says they are slaves of Jesus. This, especially in the context that we're talking about now, might be helpful to think of this more like servants. This isn't when Paul talks about being slaves of Christ or speaks about slavery. He's not referring to the chattel slavery of the U.S. South that we're still reeling from, where people were property. This is something different. What you need to notice is that Paul, like he does in other letters, does not say he's an apostle. He doesn't even say he... He's a pastor. He comes as a brother without any title, without any kind of authority. So he shares credit and he comes humbly without any authority. And then he identifies with an entire people, all of God's people there, all of God's saints in Philippi. So you could, he's not coming over them as an authority with something to command that they do. He's coming as one of them. 
Can you see how Paul is laying down his rights here? How he's laying down his privileges, sharing credit when he doesn't need to, laying down his authority and title when he doesn't need to, identifying himself with a larger group when he doesn't need to. You see how incredibly free he looks in these first few verses? Nothing to prove, nothing to lord over others. What must be going on in the heart of a man to speak this way? Why is he not consumed by his imprisonment or potential execution? He is not consumed by his profound pain. He's driven by divine imagination. Look what he says next. Verse three, he says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. We see his commitment to prayer here and more specifically prayers of gratitude. What is he grateful for? Verse five, you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Even in his imprisonment, Paul knows that the work of God is moving forward. It is their partnership, not their politics or their personality. It is their partnership in the gospel that fills him with love and grounds him in joy. Paul's imagination allows him to see God at work, even in awful circumstances. He has trained his eyes to see the evidence of God at work, even in circumstances of suffering. Cultivating a heart of gratitude, or think of it this way, becoming archaeologists of grace, where you're on the hunt for the good things God is doing, this kind of posture helps us see the presence of God everywhere. We see hope breaking through, even in awful circumstances. And I'll give you one example from yesterday. I was talking with one of my black friends and it's just been an awful week for him. Exhausting, scary. He had to sit his kids down and talk again about what was going on, why there were helicopters over his house, why they weren't going outside. Lots of tears and exhaustion. His voice cracked on the phone at one point with me. And he said, in my life, I've never felt like white people cared about us as much as I do now. I can't believe it. It feels like we've finally been heard and I thank God for it. Do you see that? He's weeping, literally, for the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery. And I could name 28 other names right now. And they're carrying all of this. He is weeping and he's seeing God do something beautiful that he's longed for, for his whole life. Solidarity, a degree of understanding that he hasn't experienced before. By looking for evidence of what's good for how the gospel is spreading, Paul's suffering becomes fuel for his divine imagination. Gratitude can become for us a gateway through our pain. Gratitude filled my friend with hope. There was still pain. There's a long way for us to go in this city, in this nation. But, but by finding something to be grateful for and thankful for, he can see that day in his imagination more clearly now. I thanked him for his friendship and his last words to me were, it's my joy, brother. There's such a 
complicated swirl of emotions in that conversation. Gratitude, sorrow, anger, confusion, sadness. And he said, it's my joy. Joy is something other than happiness. It, it can include times of happiness. It's, in some ways, it's a holy longing fueled by imagination. Listen to what Paul says next. He moves from a prayer of gratitude to a prayer of fruitfulness. He says, I pray your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ. Paul sees what the Lord has done in his own life and he wants that for his friends. Just go back and look at those words, overflow, keep on growing, filled with the fruit of your salvation, a righteous life. He's praying that they would see the presence of God and be transformed by it. Paul knows that we can become a people who lay down our rights and preferences. We can become a people filled with love and affection for a whole family, not just those who look like us, who act like us, or who think just like us through a deep partnership in Christ. We can become a people who share glory, who don't need credit and applause. We can be people who lift up others for the sake of who they might become. We can become a people filled with the righteous character of Christ. In some ways, this is the sweet promise of Pentecost, that God's home is no longer in a temple. It's in you, the people of God, indwelled by the Spirit of God. He is here. He is near. He is at work. This is joy. This is what could be ours. Joy, here's a simple definition for you. Joy is delight in the beauty of God that produces a patient hope. It's a desire to see the king in his glory and his beauty that allows us to work methodically, consistently, even as results are slow because we abound in hope. Joy is delight in the beauty of God that produces patient hope. Paul abounds in that joy because he desires God more than his circumstances, which means he can tirelessly work to bring about God's will on earth as it is in heaven. As we'll see in the coming weeks, Paul has reoriented his vision away from his circumstances. So he's not focused on just just changing my circumstances, but rather his focus is on the presence of God in his circumstances. To not believe he's been abandoned or that God is asleep at the wheel. He's, he's trained his eyes to see how is God at work even in the midst of what I'm experiencing. He worshiped a Jesus who suffered. So when Paul suffers, he experiences more of what it was like to be Jesus and more of the presence of Jesus. Paul loves a Jesus that sends people into the world. So when Paul says goodbye to those he loves, he experiences more of Jesus. Paul loves a Jesus that uses his authority to lift up and not oppress so Paul can do the same to Timothy and experience more of Jesus. You see this play out over and over and over again. Paul is the kind of person that we could become who isn't looking just for change, but is looking for God in the midst of our circumstances. I think most of all right now, what I long for us as a people is to become people of deep imagination. I'm asking us to train our eyes to see God in all circumstances. And one way we do that is by regularly practicing gratitude. Maybe you need to set aside daily time in your family to practice gratitude. We, 
we lay down our preferences and we move to others with compassion and curiosity by regularly acknowledging that we are one family who belongs to one another. We see a world where we are unified. So we are compelled to lay down our rights and preferences to lift up others. And in some ways, you know, we're jumping ahead into Philippians a little bit. But the secret of the book of Philippians is simply this. God is better. Experiencing his presence is better than getting applause. It's better than getting your way. It's better than winning an argument. And everybody is going to feel the tension here. The way of Christ demands you leave your dismissiveness. The way of Christ demands you leave the way you diminish the pain of your brothers and sisters. And the way of Christ demands we leave our ways of violence. The way of Christ makes us people who see God at work, even when the skies are dim. When you see God as more powerful, more beautiful, more desirable than everything else, you become the kind of person that can write poetry in prison. This will make us the kind of people that continue speaking, continue striving, even when the odds seem insurmountable and even when we feel trapped in our pain and suffering. It will make us people who delight in the beauty of God and patiently hope for him, knowing, as Paul says at the conclusion of this section, that this will bring much glory and praise to God. We can become unshakable, joy-filled people that transform the world around us. Can you see it in your imagination? Can you see who we could become? We can be the means by which Jesus' great prayer is fulfilled. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can help make that so. So we root ourselves once again in this sacred ritual, communion, to see the beauty of our King, experience his nearness, and have our imaginations stirred with the divine power of God to transform the world. Please pay close attention. On the night Jesus was betrayed, do you see even there how he's laid down something he was owed? He is the creator in him, by him, through him, for him, all things were made. And on the night he was betrayed, he didn't respond with violence or with hatred. He said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. After the meal, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is my blood shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this in remembrance of me. We are free to be exposed, to learn more of our weaknesses, to come face to face with the hatred in our own hearts because we know we are held safe by the body and blood of Christ. We are free and we can become something new. So wherever you are now, whatever you have, something to eat and something to drink, I want you to take a moment and offer a few prayers of gratitude to the Lord. Ask him to stir your imagination again, to fill you with hope, to experience the nearness of Jesus. Allow your gratitude to fuel your imagination of what could be, and then, and then go with me to fill the world with the transforming joy of Jesus. We're in a new season of the church calendar. We've hit Pentecost, and so we're doing a new hashtag now, hashtag thankful. 
So take pictures of who you're with, where you are, and post it with the hashtag thankful. Maybe include something that you, some place, some way you can see the hand of God moving in our world to make things new again. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.